morning. Good morning. So glad to be here today. Um, it's always good to be able to come and share with you uh, Sunday mornings like this. And I uh, always appreciate the opportunity. Um, I trust that you realize that we're only a few days away from Thanksgiving. Who's excited for Thanksgiving? Yeah, I know I am. Looking forward to it. It's going to be good. Maybe you've already begun to make plans with your family or friends. Uh, maybe you've already been grocery shopping. Kroger's going to be crazy after church. Not really looking forward to it. We've got to get that grocery shopping done. Uh, maybe you've already begun to prepare. Maybe going out and buying a turkey or some desserts. Or maybe my personal favorite, just for the record, sweet potato casserole. Any potato casserole fans out there? My people love sweet potato casserole. Looking forward to it. Maybe you're already beginning just to fast in preparation for Thanksgiving. Just to fast in preparation for the unprecedented amount of food you're going to consume on Thursday. Always a smart idea. Excitement is building for Thanksgiving, right? We're looking forward to it. And I think that when it comes to Thanksgiving, I think all families kind of have their own traditions that they do, right? Uh, maybe you're a family who, who grandma always makes this very specific dessert. She always brings it. Everybody always looks forward to it. Um, maybe you have some kind of tradition when it comes to carving the turkey or the ham. Maybe the oldest kid does it or something like that. Maybe a tradition like that. Um, in my family, on my mom's side, when we have Thanksgiving. Um, our tradition is what, Kendra? Bingo! We play, we play, we play uh, a very uh, competitive, uh, very blown up game of bingo, right? And my grandma goes out. What's that? Oh goodness, okay. Trash talking most service. Uh, we, we, my grandma, she goes out and she buys uh, gifts and prizes all year long in preparation for this bingo game, right? And you have the chance to win socks, and you have the chance to win candy. And I'll tell you right now, I haven't had to buy a pack of gum in years because I get I win a year's supply of gum every single year. We have like a stack of gum in our pantry like this tall from all the many times we've won bingo in the past. And that's our family tradition, right? And maybe you have one of your own. I think one of the most common traditions, though, that comes along with Thanksgiving um, is when everybody sits around the table and the food is, is, is laid out, we're getting ready to eat, but we pause and we take a second just to give God thanks for what he's done over the past year, right? Everybody's sitting around the table, we go one by one and we say, hey, is everybody going to thank something they're thankful for? Does anybody else do that? Anybody else have maybe done that in the past? That's a common tradition. In my family, whenever we do it, um, we're not allowed to use uh, cliche answers, so you're not allowed to just say family or my wife. Um, we, my, our family tries to be more specific and give God thanks about a specific situation which he provided. And, and all around the table, we, we say what we are thankful for over the past year. But if I'm really honest, whenever those Thanksgiving times have come and that tradition has come around the table, if I'm being honest, there's been some Thanksgivings when it's my turn, and my mind kind of draws a blank. There's been some Thanksgivings when it comes to my turn to say what I'm grateful for, and if I'm being honest, things in my life just weren't going that well. And I met Thanksgiving with a heavy heart. I met Thanksgiving with a lot of issues and circumstances that I was facing, and so when it came to my turn to say what I was thankful for, the only things that came to mind were the cliche answers like my wife or my family. 
I couldn't really think of anything in the world I was thankful for when the world around me just seemed to be falling apart. I couldn't give praise for the right things because everything in my life just seemed to be going wrong. Maybe you felt that way. Maybe you feel that way even now. That all this talk of Thanksgiving and praise leading into the Thanksgiving holiday, it kind of messes you up a little bit. You feel so overcome by your circumstances that you're just saying, I can't even think about being grateful right now with everything that's going on. Even if that doesn't sound like you, I think that all of us are in need of a, of a thankfulness uh, a reboot. We all need to be reminded that we need to be thankful. We need to be mindful about giving God uh, the blessings for what, how He's blessed us. That's why today, the name of the sermon today is Magnify Your Praise. We're just going to be doing um, one message. This isn't a series. So the name of the sermon is Magnify Your Praise. So whether you have a little and you're going through a difficult time and you're really struggling and circumstances are, you're faced with make it really hard to give praise, or whether you simply forgot to give God thanks in a while. Today we're going to talk about how to magnify our praise. Because sometimes it's too easy to lose focus. And so we need to learn how to magnify our praise. Uh, I encourage you to flip to Psalm 34. That's where we're going to be um, uh, for this whole sermon. So you can just kind of uh, flip there. And we're just going to be looking at those first three verses in Psalm 34. Um, like many of the psalms, uh, this psalm, in Psalm 34, was written by David. And if your Bible kind of um, looks like mine, you might see that above Psalm 34, there's one line of kind of introduction that gives you a little bit of context uh, to this psalm. And if you read that, it might look something like this. It says, Of David, when he feigned madness before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. So according to the scripture and according to tradition, it sounds like the psalm we're going to be reading today was written around the time that David had an encounter with a powerful Philistine king. And if you look back in 1 Samuel, I can kind of share with you the story uh, really quickly. But this is what happened. It's during a time when David is fleeing from Saul. Uh, it, that, that went on for years where David was constantly just running for his life. Saul was coming after him because he knew that he had been anointed the next king of Israel. Saul was jealous of David. So Saul was pursuing him. And David's on the run. And, and what happens in the book of 1 Samuel is David has an idea. He, he goes to a city called Gath. And he goes to Gath and his hope is that he can enter this big city and kind of remain anonymous. He's hoping he can enter Gath and kind of just disappear on the sidelines and Saul will never know how to find him. In a sense, Gath was David's last ditch effort to get away from Saul. It was his final hope. So David goes into Gath, and he's not there for very long until all of a sudden he's brought before the Philistine king. He's brought before him, and, and when he's in there, the servants of the king look at David, and they recognize him. And so they whisper to the king, they're like, hey, do you know who this guy is? And the king's like, no, I don't think so. And the servants say, they, they sing about this guy. And the king says, okay, what do they sing? They say, well, they sing that David, that Saul's killed thousands, but David, this guy, he's killed tens of thousands. So obviously, you can kind of see the cogs in the king's uh, mind working. He's saying this guy is a powerful king. He's killed tens of thousands of his enemies. And here he is before me. He's helpless. He's unarmed. And he's alone. 
And so the king of the Philistines thought this would have probably been the perfect chance to kill David. And David, when he found out he was recognized, he knew that. And so he began to grow afraid. But David had a trick up his sleeve. And if you read scripture, it's kind of this weird story where all, the day, all of a sudden, David pretends to be, to be insane. So what, what scripture says is he goes and he, and he knocks on he knocks on the walls and he marks up the gates and he lets spit run down his beard. And he just pretends like he's crazy. And so and his plan works and the king says, you know what, I have enough crazy people in my court so I don't need another one. He kind of just lets David go. And David walks out unharmed. So keep that in mind if you want to get out of a boring meeting at work. Maybe that'll work. I don't know. Just keep it in mind. So David's cover was blown. He pretended to be crazy. And he was let go. His plan worked. But I think it's important to realize that in the, in the, in the context of this psalm we're reading today, that if you think about that story and what David was doing at the time he wrote Psalm 34, this encounter with this king, I think we can see a lot about the heart behind Psalm 34. Think about how David must have been feeling when, when that day. He must have been tired. I imagine he was worn out. I imagine he was discouraged. And he was like, okay, this is my last chance to get away from Saul. Gath could be the final, the final step in my journey where I finally find some peace. David probably hasn't slept in, in, in weeks. He's probably tired. He says, Gath is it. If I can enter here and be anonymous, I'll be great. But then he's found out. He's found out, and once again, he's on the run. More sleepless nights, more discouragement. He can't seem to get away from Saul. And I imagine that David, after being released from court, might have felt a lot like how many of us feel. I think that he began to ask the question that many of us ask when it seems like life is kicking us while we're down. He was probably asking, what else could possibly go wrong. Have you ever asked that question? What else could possibly go wrong? I found myself saying that a lot recently. Talk about living where, or preaching where you're living. I found myself saying that a lot recently, just to share a few examples. In the past couple of weeks, I've managed to blow a tire. I managed to rip off my side view mirror of my car when pulling out of the garage. And my wife ran over my phone. And, and it was 100% her fault. So you can ask her about it. She'll tell you that exact story. No, it was 100% my fault. So I won't go into it, but you can ask her all about it after service. I'm sure she'll be glad to tell you. But I found myself saying that a lot. I mean, I was like, what else could possibly go wrong? That was just in the past two weeks. And those are kind of funny things. But I think that all of us deal with this when it seems like day after day, there's always something that goes wrong, always something that happens, another deadline, another meeting, another discouragement, another to-do list item, and thing after day comes in our way until we find ourselves like David saying, what else could possibly go wrong? We grow angry, we grow bitter, and I think it's in the building struggles and stresses of life that each and every one of us face when it's one thing after another after another coming in our way, when we feel like David being pursued by Saul from city after city after city, I think it's in moments like that, that our thanksgiving begins to suffer. It's in moments like that that we forget to give God the praise and glory He's due. It's in moments like that that we find ourselves on thanksgiving where we're like, you know, I, I don't really have anything to be grateful for. It comes to our turn at the thanksgiving table and we say, well, 
I blew a tire, I ripped off my side view mirror, my wife ran over my phone. Y'all have a lot to be grateful for this Thanksgiving. Right? We just begin to name off everything that's went wrong. And I think that David realized that that was the case. I think he realized that he was going through a lot of different things. A lot of things were coming in his way. And I think he realized that his praise was going to suffer. So David writes the psalm we're going to be talking about today. So when you're falling into despair, when life's hitting you while you're down, when you say, what else in my life could possibly go wrong? The question we have to, have to ask ourselves is, how am I going to magnify my praise? And so I think that Psalm 34 gives us a hint. So if you look at Psalm 34 with me, we're going to look at the first verse there. It says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. Listen to what David is saying here. He's being chased by Saul. He's standing in gas saying, what else could possibly go wrong? And yet, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. That's what he says. Even when the enemy is knocking on my door, even when I'm chased day after day after day, even when I'm constantly in danger of death, even though I have no security, even though I haven't slept in weeks, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise will be continually in my mouth. That's what David's saying. It speaks to the fact that even though life may be tearing at the seams, even though everything might seem to be falling apart, even though everything in your life is bad, just like we say today, God is still good. Amen. Even though we face struggles in life, our God is still worthy of praise. Even though you're going through a difficult time, God is still in control. And maybe you're here this morning, and you hear me saying this, and you, and you read verses like Psalm 34.1. You've heard messages about me about praising continually or being joyful in all circumstances. But you're sitting here this morning and you're just saying, that's not true. You're sitting here this morning and you're saying, that's impossible. You're saying, Jared, that's easy to say now, but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the circumstances I'm facing. There's no way in, in all that I'm going through that I can give praise in this moment. You're saying, I'm going through so much, I'm so discouraged, I have a hard time praying, let alone giving God praise. And maybe you're thinking that this morning. And let me tell you this morning that, that while you may have gained an understanding through different messages you've heard or, or, or whatever it may be, I don't think that what God intended in Scripture, I don't think what David intended in Scripture is to give you the assumption that praising continually in all circumstances is something that's easy. I don't think David ever made, meant to tell you that praising God at all times was something that was going to come easily to you. How do I know? It's because I've lived it. I, I, I am living it. I understand that passages like this about continual praise and being joyful in all circumstances may seem to you like it's just a lie. Like in order to praise continually, you kind of have to put on a front or you have to put on a mask and make it seem like you're okay. One of the deepest recesses of your heart, you're broken and you're discouraged and you're hurting. And you're saying, there's no way I can actually give praise when I feel just like breaking down and crying. Can I tell you this morning, David wasn't saying that praise was going to be easy in trial. Amen. 
In fact, if you read in the context in which this passage is written, if you know what David was going through when he wrote Psalm 34, I imagine it puts it in a different perspective. You see, David was going through a difficult time. He says, even though I've come so close to death so many times, even though I'm grown discouraged and it never seems like I'll ever get out of this circumstance, I choose to bless the Lord at all times. He says, in fact, even though everything's falling apart, even, even, even the fact that everything's going wrong, even though another king tried to kill me, it's in those moments that I think I'm going to praise God continually with my lips, even when I don't feel like it. That's what David is saying. He never said it was going to come naturally. But many times, when we go through difficult circumstances, we have to force ourselves to praise and you might be saying this morning, well, that just sounds disingenuous. Like, that sounds like you're just faking it, to give praise when you don't actually feel it. You're pretending. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that's true. I mean, think about it. So think about it like this. So whenever I was a kid, uh, occasionally, once in a very blue moon, I would get in an argument with my sister. Okay? And it was, it was a very, very rare occurrence. I really did have a lot. But we get in arguments, right? And we would make her back and forth, and by the end, my, one of my parents probably stepped in. And they would step in, and they would say, guys, stop bickering, and I want you to apologize to one another. Right? And you know how that goes. You're like, sorry. You know, that's how we do it. And we say, okay, sorry. But then, my parents would take it a step further, and make it even, even more harder on us. And then they would say, now, Jared, tell your sister you love her. I was like, uh, come on, I, I, just, I just apologize, like, do I really have to tell her I love her? Like, you're making this really hard on me. Like, yeah, I need to tell her that you love her, too. <sighs> you go off on your day, right? And that's what mom would do. Why did my mom do that? It's because she wanted us to know that, hey, the anger that you're feeling towards your sister is only temporary. The hard feelings that you have towards your sister, those are going to last for a very short time. But you know that you love your sister. Even though you don't really feel about like it, I know that you know that you really do love your sister. And in a way, telling Kendra I loved her in those moments was kind of a reminder for me in a lot of ways. That, okay, I really do love her. I'm not really, I'm not really mad at her in that way. I think the same thing is true of praise. Does God still deserve praise even though our lives are falling apart? Of course He does. He still deserves the praise. Does He still deserve praise even though we don't feel like crazy? Especially so. He still deserves the praise. Why? Because in those moments where we're praising, even though we might not feel like it, we need to be reminded that, hey, even though I don't feel like praising and even though life is going really, really poorly, when I praise, I'm reminding myself that God is still good. Just like we sung just a few moments ago, when we sing those songs, even though we might not be feeling it here, we need to be reminded here that, hey, even though life is really poor right now, my God is still faithful. That God's still sovereign even though I am suffering. We need to give God praise in those moments because God deserves the praise and we need to have the reminder. Not only that, but I think that in my experience, it's in the lowest of lows when it doesn't seem to get, can get like it can get any worse. 
when we're facing life's darkest circumstances, when we begin to give praise when maybe we don't feel like it, when that song comes on the radio, when we just begin to praise God, I think it's like a dam that's breaking in our soul. Amen. When that song comes on the radio and we're facing a difficult circumstances and, and we begin to sing along, suddenly tears start streaming down our faces and, 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 and we're able to praise God even in the midst of the storm. Why? Because giving God praise, we don't feel like praising. Praise is God and gives us the reminder. We need that. It breaks our heavy hearts, right? I'm reminded of when I was in college, uh, Andy and I attended a church that, that was about 30 minutes from campus where we were living. And I was on the worship team. I was playing drums at the time. And so I would have to drive that 30-minute distance every Wednesday night to practice for praise team. And I, was, I remember there was one specific Wednesday night when I was going towards crazy practice that I was really discouraged. A lot was going on in my life. I remember that I was, I was working two jobs at the time and going to school full time. I had a lot, of, a lot of papers to do. I was stressed out at school. Uh, I was stressed out at work. And, and, and I was struggling to pay rent for the apartment I had off campus. And, and just thing after thing after thing was going over my mind. Nothing was going right. And I was just so consumed by it when I was driving to crazy practice that night. Now, I began to think of all days to go to praise team practice. Why did it have to be this day? Like, nothing's going right. What else could possibly go wrong, right? And that's what I was saying. And I remember on that drive to praise team practice, uh, our worship pastor yes. had sent us, uh, she sent us a song that we were going to be doing for the first time on Sunday. And she just said, hey, listen to this song before Wednesday night. And um, so you kind of know it a little bit better coming into practice and they'll help us learn it. And me being the procrastinator I am, I'm literally listening to it the 30 minutes before praise team practice is quit. And so I was driving that drive, and so I turned on that song, not really knowing what it was. And it was the song, Oh Come to the Altar. And we've sung that song here before, you've probably heard it before. And I hadn't heard it, this is the first time I've ever, I'd ever heard it. And I turned off that song strictly for research purposes, to know what, how, to, how to play drums to it. But then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit used the words of just the first verse, and it just broke me. And if you know the words there, they say this, Are you hurting and broken within? Are you overwhelmed by the way of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink at the well? Jesus is calling. And the song hadn't even got to the, to the chorus, and I was already bawling, which was probably like a driving hazard because I couldn't really see the road. But I was crying, and my heart was, my heart was just so full, and God, God had come in and used those words just to, to break my heart and heart and soften it so I could really hear Him. And I heard Jesus saying to me in that song, like, hey, you're broken, you're hurting, and you're thirsty for a drink at the well, but I'm calling you to come to me. And I needed to hear that in that moment. And so I put the song on repeat for that whole 30-minute drive. I was listening to it over and over and over. And, and by the end of the drive, I knew the words and I was singing along. You see, in many ways, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't wanting to praise in that moment. I didn't feel like giving God the praise He was due because my life was going so, so poorly. But it was when I praised God that His Spirit impacted me in such a powerful, powerful way. Because God needed the praise in that moment, and I needed the reminder that, hey, I'm, I'm still calling you. And I needed the reminder that said, hey, I have a drink that you're thirsty for. And hey, I understand you're broken and you're hurting, but I'm here for you. 
And God used that experience of praising when I didn't feel like praising to soften my heart and impact me in a powerful, powerful way. It's important that praise be continually on our lips, even in the midst of difficult situations. And that's one way we could magnify our praise. The next thing that David tells us to do in order to magnify our praise is to humble ourselves. Take a look at verse 2. It says this. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the hunger hear and be glad. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. It's only after the humble hear the praises of our God that they can be glad. I think that when David speaks of the humble here, he's not just talking about other people, but I think in some ways he's talking about himself. I think what David's telling us here is that humility is essential in times of trial in order to find the joy that we desire. David understood that Saul's pursuit of him could so easily cause him to be prideful. He realized that his trials and circumstances could really... It would be really easy for him to fall into the opposite of humility. That he would turn the focus on himself. You see, that's when I think that difficulties and trials, they can have two effects on us. The first one is that they can make us become prideful. Many times when we face difficult situations, we tend to see ourselves in a bigger light than we had before. Our tendency can kind of be to turn the focus inward. When the saws of our lives are chasing us down, suddenly every waking thought is presented where? Right on me. Everything I say, everything I do, everything I think, all, suddenly all of my resources are spent trying to fix my problem and worry about my problem and my situation and what I'm going through. We stop thinking about others, we stop thinking about God, and instead all of our focus are on the struggles and the problems. And not only that, but I mean, you can hear the pride in some of the questions that we ask ourselves in times of difficulty. What are the questions we ask ourselves? How in the world am I going to get through this? What am I going to do? Why does this always happen to me? And the danger in the midst of trials is that that's how everything is. It's always focused on me. And maybe if you're like me, and I hope that, <laughs> I saw people pray for this message, I was like, I hope people raise their hands or I'm going to look like a truth. But like, if you're like me, you may have had this same thought when you're going through a difficult circumstance. Okay, I'm going to use uh, Pastor Nathan as an example. Okay, this is not a true circumstance. It's just an example for warning. How many of you ever had this happen? Okay, so it's like me. I, I'm walking into work, and I blew my tire. My side of was ripped off, and Annie ran over my phone. And, I, and a lot of other things are going on. I'm discouraged. I'm, I'm angry. I'm, I'm bitter. And I'm walking into the church, and I'm sitting down to work. And then all of a sudden, Nathan comes in. And he's like, man, I just dropped my coffee in the parking lot. And then what do you do? You go, are you serious? Like, that's what you're worried about? Do you have any idea what I'm going through, David? Do you, do you have any idea of all the things that have happened to you over the past week? And you're worried about your latte? That's ridiculous. Get over it. That's what we say. Does anybody else do that? Okay, it's not just me. Good, good, good. Not a true circumstance, but that's, that's an example. But that, why do we do that? Why do we do that? It's because it's so easy at times when we're going through difficult circumstances for the focus to turn on me. So we belittle the problems of others and what other people are going through because our focus is here. And when our focus is here, it causes unnecessary self-pity. It causes unnecessary anxiety. 
Because we're always focused on us, and we're focused on what's going to happen to us and what we're going to do. And that's what we do. And I and imagine that that's what David, when he was in Gaza, I imagine that's what he was tempted to do. He was tempted to put the focus on himself, but David didn't do that. Instead, he, he calls us to do the second thing that we do in times of trial. Go ahead. And that's be humble, right? We can be humble. While the, while the temptation can be to turn the focus on, on ourselves and on the questions that we ask, David offers an alternative. What if instead we humble ourselves? What if instead of saying, what am I going to do? I say, God, I can't do this. What if instead of saying, how am I going to get through this? We say, God, I need your help to get through this. What if instead, why, what if instead of saying, why does this always happen to me? We say, God, what are you doing in the midst of all this? We have to turn the focus off of ourselves. We can either allow the difficulties of our life to swell our pride or bring us to our knees. If we allow the hardships we are facing to humble us, if we're really truly able to say, God, I don't have this under control. I can't handle it. Is there in the midst of that place where you can't do it? Where you're inept? That God can step in and begin to lift you up. It's more on our knees that we can really give God the praise and the glory He is due because we can admit our faults. We can say, God, I'm weak in this moment, but I believe you're strong. We can say, God, I can't do it, but I believe you can help me do it. You say, God, I can't say this, but I believe you're going to help me say it. I can't go where you're calling me to go, but I believe that you're going to help me walk down that path. In order to give God the praises he's due, we have to get down on our knees in humility in times of hardship. I think that it's so easy, whenever the focus turns inward, just to begin listing all of the problems that we're going through, right? I can't pay the bills. I can't pass my classes. My family's falling apart. I'm failing to meet deadlines at work. And problem after problem after problem. And what's that? It's focusing here. But can I tell you today that it's okay to admit your problems? David admitted his problems, right? If you read the Psalms, many, many times he's saying, my enemies are pursuing me. Everybody's after me. Everybody's against me. I don't know what I'm going to do. Death is around every corner. He's listing his problems, right? And that's what we do. But David always takes it a step further. He says, while my enemies are pursuing me, but the Lord is my stronghold. And death faces me around in every corner, but in my God I find life. And I don't know what I'm going to do, but I find rest in God. You see, too often we just start naming problems without framing them in the glory of our Savior. We list all of our problems without remembering that our God is our provider. He wants to offer us peace. He wants to offer us rest. He wants to give us the strength we need. What if we catch ourselves when we're naming those problems? We say, hey, you know what? My, my family is falling apart, but I believe in the God of reconciliation. And I can't pass my classes, but I believe that God can give me the wisdom I need. And every does, everything does seem to be going wrong, but you know what? I'm going to trust in God. Framing our problems in who God is can take the focus off of ourselves and push us into praise. I've talked about it many times. I've been a homeowner now for a few months, and I've talked about my ineptitudes when it comes to owning a home and how I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I'll, I'll share you another one so you can kind of uh, bask in that if you like. So here's another way I've been up to being a homeowner. 
So uh, in many ways, the problems go uh, wrong around the house. Things occur. Um, I'm the one who has to fix them, right? And uh, a lot of the time, whenever something goes wrong, I usually pull up a YouTube video and just try to figure it out on my own. Um, it takes me a little bit, but many times by using the internet and watching YouTube videos. What, like, what did you guys do before the internet? How did you fix things? I don't understand it. Like, before YouTube was a thing, how in the world did you fix something you fossil? That's the only right way I was able to do it. So I watched things. What's that? <coughs> so, so anyway, so uh, I would watch videos and, and I would figure it out on my own and eventually uh, do it. Um, but many times I've found that, and, and of all the ways that I can kind of fix it on my own, there's way more different situations that I, I don't, I'm not able to fix on my own, right? Um, I'll give you an example. Um, so there was one day I was coming home from work, and um, I walked in the front door, and I, the, our whole house was kind of filled with like a haze, and a little smoky. And I walked in, and I was like, what in the world? And I walk in, and I turn the corner, and he's like, Jerry, we have a problem. And so instantly I'm like, you know, uh, in that mode, but in panic mode. And so Andy, was, Andy said, I accidentally burned something in the oven, everything's fine, um, but the, the smoke alarm was going off. I said, oh, okay, it's fine. And she said, the problem is, it's been going off every minute throughout the past hour. And I said, well, did you reset? She said, yeah. And so we were like, okay, well, maybe um, it's just because it's still a little bit hazy in here. So we opened up a door, and Andy kind of stood by the door and was like using a towel to try to get all the smoke out, and maybe that was the issue. But still, every minute, that fire alarm would go off, every single minute, again, and again and again. You push the button, it would still go up. And to make matters worse, the way Andy and I's house is set up is that when one smoke alarm goes off, all of the smoke alarms in the house go off, okay? So it's just like one loud alarm every time it goes off. It's like every single minute. So I spent about the next hour standing on a chair, like poking at the ceiling, trying to, trying to get that uh, smoke alarm to turn off. And so, um, eventually, I guess I pressed the right set of buttons somehow, and, and, the, and the, it went silent for longer than a minute. So, I, I, I kind of began to get prideful, and I was like, I fixed it, we're welcome, your, your husband came to save you, glad I could help. And so, um, we ate dinner, and we probably watched a movie or something, and we ended up going to bed. And I remember we, we were getting out of bed, we, we laid our heads on our pillow, finally drifting off to sleep, counting the sheep, and then all of a sudden, all over the house, all of the fire alarms start going off all over again, everywhere. And I was like, what in the world? I thought I fixed it. So I run downstairs, and, and I'm, I'm poking at the thing again, and I get it to go off. And I was like, this thing goes off. In another minute, I'm going to go crazy. And sure enough, it goes off again. So I was tired. I was angry. I was frustrated. So what I did was I got out my phone, and I called my dad, right? It's like, it's like 9.30 at night or something. I don't know. I was like, so there's a problem, and I told him the situation. And over the next 10 or 15 minutes, he's, he's looking the manual up online, and, and he kind of um, is doing some research, and he walked me through how to eventually turn off that fire alarm in the correct manner, and, and we're, we're good now. Um, but basically, whenever I thought about that situation, I thought about what I was preaching on, I thought about the fact that so many, so many times our lives look much the same. I thought about the fact that so often there's alarms going off in our house in all different directions. And just when you think you have one turned off, another one starts going off in a different room. And that's how we live our lives. Running from room to room, turning off fire alarms, trying to solve our problems. But then another goes off again and we say, what else could possibly go wrong? But I think that's the wrong way to look at it. I think we have to do what I ended up doing, and that's 
humbling ourselves, maybe saying, you know what, I can't figure this out on my own. I don't know how to turn off this smoke alarm. I don't know what I'm doing. And calling our Heavenly Father and saying, hey, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. And so it's in those moments when we take that stance of humility and admit that we can't do it on our own. That's when God truly receives the praise that he is due. That's how we magnify our praise, by turning the focus off of us and putting it on him. The final way that David prompts us to magnify our praise is by magnifying the Lord. If you look at verse 3, it says this, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. You see, I think that when David was being chased by Saul, I think that he thought, of, I think he realized the fact that many times our issues and the circumstances we face can easily get blown out of proportion. When we're, when we're going through a difficult time, a lot of times our, our problems grow exponentially, and, and they get blown out of proportion. I'm really, really good at this. Um, if someone looks at me in a weird way or they whisper during my sermon, then I'm instantly on guard. I'm like, okay, what did I do? How did I, how did I offend them? Did I say something wrong? Did I do something embarrassing? And instantly, that one whisper or that one look turns into this giant conspiracy that everyone's against me, right? This happened recently. Annie and I were at, were at an event. That there were other people there, and, and someone came up to me when we were talking, and, and they said a comment to me that was probably innocent. But when I took that comment, it started rolling around in my head, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And suddenly I was convinced that they hate me, and everybody else there hates me, and, and everything's going wrong, and, and all this stuff. I can't do anything right. And it, just, it just grew right from one comment. And that's what we do. And so I looked over to Annie, and I was just like, I can hear what he said. This is all that's going on, blah, blah. And Annie just looked at me, and she says, I think it's all in your head. <laughs> Aren't you glad for life to just knock it back into shape? <laughs> uh, and I needed that, right? And he said, I think it's all in your head. And I, then I started to think, like, huh, like maybe she's right. Maybe it all is all in my head. Maybe I took that one comment and perpetuated it and blew it up out of perfor per uh, proportion and made it something it wasn't. And I think that this can ha happen too often with, with very real issues we face. I'm not literally the problems that we face, but many times when we focus on our problems, they tend to just build worry and stress. If, we, if we're focused on how we can't pay the bills, we, we focus on those and we think we're going we're to lose our job, we won't be able to do anything, and, and our problem grows until it's huge. And it consumes our every waking thought. We can't think about anything else. We can't sleep. We can't stop worrying about it. It causes anxiety and distress, all because we blew up our problem to make it something bigger than it actually was. I, think I, I have an illustration that can kind of better exemplify this for us. Where to put it. Oh, here it is. I bought this magnifying glass off Amazon. It's huge. I have no idea what I'm going to do with it after this sermon, but I have it now. So if you ever need a magnifying glass, call me up. Maybe I'll like solve mysteries or something. I'll figure something out. So, we're talking about magnifying our praise, right? And so I got this magnifying glass. It even has a light on it. I'm telling, I'll sell this to you. If you think that this looks like something you'd like, it has a light on it, I can sell it right now. We can start an auction. A one dollar. Anybody? Not really right Okay, um, so, as I thought about this, um, I thought about the fact that so often we blow our problems out of proportion. So imagine that the drum cage 
is our problems. I'm not saying anything bad about Kent, I promise. He's a great guy. But imagine the drunk cage is all of our problems, all the issues we face, the things we struggle with, all the things that we're saying. What else could possibly go wrong? And then we look at our problems through this magnifying glass. And this is the magnifying glass of pride. We would tend to look at our, our problems, our issues, and everything we're facing. And, and, and when we look at it through this magnifying glass of pride, suddenly we find ourselves not being able to praise God because of all this stuff that's going on, all these issues we're facing. And because we look at it through the magnifying glass of pride, they get, it gets so big and it gets blown out of proportion. And suddenly this is this huge problem I'm facing. Everything's going wrong. I don't know what I'm going to do. It consumes everything I do. It consumes my workplace and my home life and my marriage. Everything is affected because I'm looking at my problem and it looks gigantic and I don't know what I'm going to do. It consumes everything. And when I look back at the cross, this, this represents God. And, and I, I look at my problems and in the magnifying glass of pride, they look gigantic. And God just looks so small. Like I, I, I can't even begin to praise that and praise Him because this looks so big. And when we blow up our, our problems and our issues, that causes a lot of anxiety, and it causes a lot of worry, and it causes a lot of doubt, and it causes a lot of questions, all because we're blowing up our problems, and it consumes everything we do, because we're looking at it through the magnified glass of pride. But what David tells us in Psalm 34, verse 3, is he says, hey, what if we magnify the Lord? What if instead of pointing our magnifying glass of our problem and looking and saying, that looks huge? What if instead of through humility, we turn our magnifying glass to God and magnify Him instead? And we have to look at it through humility and we have to say, you know what, God, I can't do it on my own. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I'm going to solve my problems. But I'm going to turn my magnifying glass to you. I'm going to magnify you instead. And suddenly, our problem doesn't look that big anymore. And suddenly God looks so, so powerful. It's because He is powerful. He is bigger than our situation. But many times with the magnification of pride, our problem is bigger. But when we take a, a stance of humility, suddenly God looks so, so much bigger than the problems we facing, we're facing. And when we put our magnified glass over here, it brought worry and anxiety and stress and questions. When we put our magnified glass to God, suddenly all we can do is praise. Suddenly, all we can do is say, God, you are so big. God, you are so good. God, even though I'm facing all that, when I look at you through this and admit I can't do it on my own, suddenly all I can do is praise you. Suddenly, all I can do is lift your name on high because, God, you are so, so big. And that problem is nothing for you. I don't even have to worry about it because you have it under control. But it's taking the magnifying glass of pride and saying, God, I can't do it on my own. I need your help. And taking a humble stance. And that's how we can truly, truly begin to magnify the Lord. I've asked the praise team to come. If it's okay, Nathan, I might call it audible on you. I told you one song, but can we do God is good instead? It's okay. <clears throat> We're going to sing one last song to kind of end the message. Tracy's going to come forward. And we're going to magnify the Lord's name together. Is that okay? Can we offer to God the praise and glory he needs to do? Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, you know, Thanksgiving is coming up on Thursday. 
and I'm probably going to have to say something I'm thankful for, but to be honest, I, I feel like I'm just going to come up short. I don't know that I'll be able to come with something easily because everything just seems to be going wrong. Everything's falling apart. Maybe you find yourself just consumed with worry and doubt. Maybe you're just so consumed with anxiety and you don't know how you're going to make it out of the situation you find yourself in. Can I encourage you today to praise God anyways? Can I encourage you to stand and sing with us and praise God even though you might not feel like it? I would say let's bless the Lord today even when we might not feel like praising Him. And we praise the Lord because He deserves the praise. And hey, I need to remind you that God's still good. Even though I'm in the dumps, God's still good. So I'm going to sing it even anyway, even though I might not feel it. And maybe here this morning, you, 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 you feel like you just need to come forward. The altars are open, and you're totally welcome to come. And we'd love to be able to pray with you. <clears throat> maybe you say, hey, you know what? My magnifying glass has kind of been pointed at my problems for a long time now. I, I, it causes me stress and anxiety and worry, and I don't know what I'm going to do. But Lord, I'm going to come here this morning, and I kneel before you. I'm going to turn my magnifying glass on who you are. And I'm going to give you the praise and glory you're due because you're so much greater than the problems I'm facing. And you want to come this morning, and that's totally fine. I'd love to pray with you. So if you'll stand with us, we're going to, we're going to sing praises. The altars are open. I'm going to give us all the same call that David gave us. Let's magnify the Lord together. Let the humble be glad. Let's magnify and praise his name this morning. Let me pray with you and then we'll start. Dearly Father, I ask that you would begin speaking in this moment, God. If there's anyone in here who feels so consumed with worry and doubt and fear, Lord, because of the problems they're facing, I ask that you would just speak, God. Lord, open our mouths to proclaim your praises, Lord. Even though we might not feel like it, God, I ask that you would give us the reminder, Lord, that you are good. And we're going to praise you even in the midst of the storms we're facing. God, we believe that you are much bigger than the problems that we're facing. So we magnify your name this morning. We ask all of this in your name.